Welcome to the London Business School podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence. How are businesses using AI today? I am Julian Birkinshaw, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School, and I'm the host of this series where we discuss the practical applications of these new technologies in the workplace and in society. Today we are focusing on virtual reality and augmented reality. We'll discuss why these are taking off right now, what the most exciting use cases are, and the challenges they face in gaining widespread adoption. I have two guests with me to discuss these issues. First, we have Tara Reddy, co-founder of LoveShark, a gaming company. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. And tell us in a couple of sentences what LoveShark does. Um, so we make camera games. So they're games for mobile phones, and they use technologies like augmented reality and machine learning. And these are games that put you, the player, in the camera. So it's actually you playing, not an avatar, not a 3D model, but your real self. Um, so if you imagine something like a Snapchat filter, that, but gamified. Perfect. And we're going to get more into the details of what that looks like in a few minutes. Our second guest is Fiona Kilkelly, director of Immerse UK, which is part of the Knowledge Transfer Network. Fiona, just help us a little bit with what the Knowledge Transfer Network is and what Immerse UK is. Well, Immerse UK is the UK's immersive technology network. So we represent industries, researchers, universities and investors, anybody innovating in immersive technology. We've got about 4,000 members and we're free to join and we're managed out of the Knowledge Transfer Network, which is Innovate UK's business network arm. Got it. And you're using this word immersive technologies to refer to a whole range of things, not just virtual reality and augmented reality. What, what else fits under that banner? Well, it's, I think industry now is much more comfortable with using the term immersive technologies because it represents a broader range of technologies within the immersive space. So AR, VR, a combination of both is MR, haptics, which is about um, user feedback. You have companies who are just specialising in a particular part of that and you have companies then who are experimenting with the wider picture. So immersive tech is a much Got more it. kind of casual... Understood. I mean, for, for most of this session, we're going to talk about traditional terms, virtual reality, augmented reality. Perhaps we can come back to that at the end. So let's start with virtual reality. Uh, and I think most of us will have tried out an Oculus headset or equivalent. Most of us will have seen movies like Ready Player One or whatever. So that's the kind of the, um, you know, the layperson's understanding of virtual reality. Fiona, just help us a little bit with a couple of questions. First of all, how does virtual reality technology work? Why, why are we seeing it suddenly take off in ways that, that, that wasn't, say, 10 years ago? I think widely the business efficiency and cost saving side of using VR and AR within companies, and these are in um, industrial applications of the technology, are huge for businesses that the business case is proving itself. Got it. So um, to give us a couple of examples, because, you know, Gaming is clearly one use case, but it's it's not a a business case in the same way. Give us a sense of how businesses are using virtual reality to help them save money, to, to do things more effectively. If you look at manufacturing, Crossrail is a really great example, which started about three years ago. So Crossrail 
worked with a company called Solowus, um, who had they actually received some Innovate UK funding to actually build and plan out the development of the, the Crossrail project in virtual reality in advance. So in terms of boring tunnels, in terms of scoping out the design and the build that could be created in a virtual environment with the designers, with the engineers, with the commissioners of the project, and they could foresee and pre-plan and prepare themselves for any potential issues down the line it made sure all of the stakeholders on board were happy with what they were deploying and the cost efficiencies and savings for them is potentially huge because if you start to deploy and you discover by milliseconds in engineering terms things are out you can avoid all of those potential hazards and mistakes also from a training perspective it's incredibly important in areas like in oil and gas for example or nuclear decommissioning uh, if you've got staff and you don't want to send them out to hazardous environments to actually learn to work on the job or do what they need to do, but the situation they're working in is a potential risk to their own safety, they can train off-site in a virtual environment. So I guess pilots have been using virtual reality to, to learn how to fly planes for years, right, in simulators. In a very basic way, in right. simulators, So, yes. So what is, what is different or what is better now? I mean, given that flight simulators have existed for, for, for decades, right? How the technology has evolved, really, is to provide a much more deeply immersive real-time experience so that when you're in a virtual environment, number one, your headset's not really heavy, so you can actually wear it for a long period of time. We're now at the point where we're getting to the market headsets that have got longer battery life and, and, and are more usable. Eye tracking's better. The rendering is better. So when you're, when you're in an environment, you can suspend disbelief. So if I am in a 360 environment in a cockpit, it will feel real life and I will likely react better because it feels like a real life scenario rather than being a three second lag to a reaction to my decisions or pressing a button. So it's much more effective because the real time feedback and immersive qualities are so much better. Got it. And that's largely down to processing power. I mean, simplistically, you know, computers are just that much quicker at processing things now that, that we get rid of the lag and we get more high-quality simulations. And the technology within the um, VR experience, the, the very complicated meshing of technologies that you need from, you know, use the use of AI, as I mentioned, eye tracking and sensor and haptic feedbacks really inform what the experience is for the user. So the whole side of user experience and looking at user experience design within immersive is massive because so, you're designing from the user. And the technology is responding to me. I mean, obviously, you know, take the flight simulator, the, the technology used to respond to the, the buttons that the captain would push, as it were, and the way that they use the joystick. But are you saying that we can now use virtual reality to monitor, you know, my own movements, my own eye movements? Absolutely. If you're in a immersive, interactive, narrative virtual environment, you will want that environment to react to and respond to your user in that space. So that will depend completely on the, what's going to unfold in the next bit of the story about where the user's eyes land within that environment. And so you can imagine from an AI perspective, it's huge. You need to, to, to work with that technology to create an experience that's seamless for the, for the user. But then you've also experiences where it is just... Being in an immersive environment, it's like being in a room and you look around and you don't really interact with it. You're just engaging with the quality of the visualisation. Yeah. Got it. So the interactivity is really what's 
changing and making this just so much more powerful Absolutely, than it used to be. Absolutely, yeah. Got it. So let's switch over to augmented reality. And Tara, let me bring you in here. So I'm guessing most listeners will have tried Pokemon Go, which was this crazy hit new game a couple of summers ago. Help us with, first of all, what, what augmented reality is, just in really simple terms, and then we'll get into your game. Okay, so I think Pokemon Go is a good example. You see the Pokemon in your room. Right. And augmented reality basically allows us to put a digital layer over the real world. And you might view that through a mobile phone by holding your phone up and looking through it, or it might be through a headset, like the Magic Leap, where actually I can see games coming to life in my living room and interacting with my sofa and bouncing off my windows, etc., but yeah, it's really about that meeting place between digital and physical. Okay, so help us a little bit with the technology here then. So so what is going on in terms of artificial intelligence, in terms of computer programming that allows this simulated and real world to interact? Um, so augmented reality is generally being viewed through a camera lens. And that camera then has to interpret the environment and then place the digital layer on top of it. So I guess a couple of good examples would be things like facial recognition or plain recognition. So facial recognition, imagine that you're doing a Snapchat filter. It, it knows where your eyes are and the lens is actually using AI to know where the features of the face are and put that digital layer on top of it. Or plane detection is the camera looks around the room and it can see that's a floor. Therefore, when I put an object there, maybe I'm using the IKEA app and I'm buying a new, a new sofa and I want to know how it looks. It knows that's the floor and it places on top of that realistically. And so it's really about an intelligent camera. Right, good. So tell us about what your, your game is, just in a bit more detail. So we're actually building a gaming platform. So it's made for Gen Z females. So that's basically teen girls because they're one of the biggest emerging groups of gamers right now. And it's a collection of games that you play play the game in the camera and then you create video so you can share that. So you can share, send it to your friends on WhatsApp, a video of you playing and interacting in AR, or you can share it within our, our community and actually, you know, be a, a contributor and help to build that community. But it's all about teen girls playing games, sharing moments in ways that they, they weren't able to before. It's a, you know, a step away from Candy Crush, really. And, and what are the, shall we say, technical challenges in, in doing this for you? Because I can see that I can't quite get inside that head of a teenage girl, but I can see that this is the sort of thing that they, my daughter would like to play. What are the challenges in actually making this, this really work? So distribution is good now. So now there's about 1.5 billion AR-compatible devices in consumers' pockets right now. So the distribution's there. I think the biggest challenge is, is user experience and knowing that to interact in this sort of environment, you might have to hold your phone up in weird ways or move around the room in a, in a virtual environment. And sometimes that feels weird. If I'm, if I'm on the train commuting, maybe I don't want to be holding my phone up in case people think I'm taking a picture of them. It's um, that sort of thing. Or if it's using facial recognition, other people don't like me putting my phone in their face to recognize them. So I think a lot of the challenges are in UX. It's user experience. It's about understanding what people are willing to do in different circumstances and either making that more acceptable or more comfortable for them or making the experience so cool that they forget about those inhibitions. But yeah, it's really, it, I think the technology is an amazing place now. It's more about people challenges than, than technical challenges. And presumably you're, you're buying the technology from a, a provider of artificial intelligence and you're putting the software on top of that? How does that work? So actually Apple and Google have got um, really good now framework technology in augmented uh, reality called AR Kit and AR Core. 
so we build on top of their technology. So actually, the great thing is that they they take care of that side of things, and we get to be creative and, and make the great new products. Right, and the creativity is in coming up with these new ways of combining technologies in ways that, that teenage kids will find kind of fun. I yeah, guess. exactly. It's about not thinking about technology. If you say this is an augmented reality game, they don't really care about that. They care about a game that's going to give them entertainment. People don't think that Snapchat's AR. They just think it's face filters, you know? So it's about providing value. Fiona, are the applications of augmented reality, you talked about some virtual reality examples earlier, what are the ways that you see augmented reality technologies being used in, in the business world, in training, in, in engineering? Give us a couple of examples. Well, I think as Tara mentioned, AR is really kicking off from an entertainment and consumer perspective much more than VR at the moment because of the proliferation and people have access to it. It's a lot more amenable. People get AR and they're more open to it than VR. But AR in training is huge. So Microsoft HoloLens is one of the main headsets using AR in training across many industries, whether that's teaching in engineering, working with an engine, how by using a headset, you can, by practically doing, rather than opening a book and learning, Mm. speed up the training process and and create a much more enriched um, learning experience. So this would be somebody actually in in a physical space with the the headset giving them instructions about how to actually do some some I don't know some maintenance on a it, it on a piece could, of equipment it or could whatever. be a company up on a um, on a remote Scottish island working in the oil and gas drilling business who have a, a HoloLens headset and have a training software that's been developed for a HoloLens with HoloLens which will be built around a range of perhaps 3D 3D assets such as engines that they've imported into that um, environment and you will see by wearing the headset that engine in front of you and you will have two handheld devices which will be whatever you can pick up and change whether it's your nut your your screw or your your um, drill and you will work virtually with this engine and be given instructions about what to turn when, what to take off when, what to replace. So you're working on what could be a very massive, complicated, big, heavy engine that's situated in another country outside of the UK, but you're learning on it remotely as if it's the real engine that you're working on. This is the only case I've sort of seen in in reality. I was over at CERN, you know, the the particle accelerator in, in Geneva, and they were experimenting with this technology where in the event of some sort of, I don't know, nuclear spill, or perhaps not a nuclear spill, but some sort of gamma radiation problem, you could actually have this headset which you'd walk into the room and it would actually kind of highlight for you where in the room the biggest potential risks were. And so obviously this is person in a dangerous environment and that headset is providing additional information to them is that i think anything you can feed data into in a real-time environment can be translated into a visual interpretation of that and in ar that works really well i mean if you think at of mass scale disasters yeah, um, right. that are happen, you know, if you if, if you can imagine how much easier it would be to deploy an ambulance crew and support staff if the data that was being sent in could be they could identify a group of critically injured people to the left much easier than and how go through the whole triage process and through AR or VR, AR more than VR. The implications of that are huge. Uh, and again, we've sort of seen this in the movies, haven't we, where someone's got their heads-up display and it's giving them advice. I mean, is that real life now, that's, yeah. that there are people who have these headsets which are 
providing real-time information for them, not just in like military settings, but in business settings? Yes, we are there and it's getting better. I think some people and some industries are better at it because of the fact that they have the data, they have the infrastructure and they have the means to deploy it. But certainly within AOR and using a seamless, lightweight headset, that means you can move around and make the whole experience much more um, navigable and easier for you if the data is there and you can feed it through. Yeah. So any other applications you've seen of, of augmented reality? I mean, obviously you're you're deep in your own gaming world, but you must have seen some other examples which I mean my the, the previous company I worked at was called Blipper and they were huge their company was one of the leaders in AR one of the pioneers and they they built the whole business of AR advertising so actually um, consumers would buy a cereal box and the kids would be sitting eating their cereal in the morning bored and they would see a, a little call to action that would say download this app and they could scan it and then the cereal box would turn into a virtual game or some sort of um, a concert or um, some sort of entertainment for them. So I think augmented reality advertising has, has huge potential and it's extremely engaging. And what about in the world of education? How is, because, you know, I'm always worried about what's going to happen to... London Business School or, or, or other business schools in terms of the way that we educate people. Feel free to speculate on this one because it may not be quite real life yet, but how is how are these augmented realities going to change the classroom of the future? It's already happening. There's already companies specialised in AR education. And what can happen is the teacher can devise an, a lesson plan, say they're learning about the solar system, and then they can all view this on their phones in real time or the, or the iPad in the classroom and interact with it. And she can, as she goes through the lesson, actually alter that AR environment. So it's happening almost like a, a 3D movie in real time that they can interact with. And it goes with the narrative of the class. So, yeah, it's already happening. And, and actually, we found in Blipper, they were, they were working in this space. They found that there was a lot of interest in this area. I mean, I remember, gosh, this was almost 20 years ago, this thing called Second Life. You remember Second Life? And a couple of my colleagues tried running classes for their students in Second Life. And, of course, it didn't really take off because it was... uh, Obviously, the technology was a little bit more basic then. So are you suggesting that... Because that was a, a pure, fully virtual world. You're suggesting that this augmented world where, fortunately, face-to-face interaction with students is still important, but we're going to, shall we say, complement it with technology to make the experience more stimulating. Is yeah. that yeah, exactly. that's the future, is it? Stimulating and much more effective. Um, the statistics on the value of learning in a, an environment where you're seeing and doing and being involved rather than reading it from a screen or um, a board is, is huge. And the value of, you know, you can put children on, on a bus and they can walk toward the moon in virtual reality you can bring children out of the classroom into environments that would never normally get the chance to and none of us would get the chance to experience and the impact on that is massive for anybody's life in terms of um, giving them opportunities to do things you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do got it so let's turn uh, in the last few minutes towards some of the, the challenges because clearly not only is this real today but you know the Computer processing power and, and, and opportunities are growing dramatically. Fiona, in your experience, I mean, you're helping to build out this whole immersive technology area in the UK. What is the biggest challenge you see? I mean, is it a lack of funding? Is it a lack of entrepreneurs? Is it a lack of consumer interest in in using these technologies? There, I think the 
the biggest challenge and why we've been working so hard with government and Innovate UK and UKRI around um, new pots of funding for immersive technologies is getting the money out to people like Tara and Tara's company so they can continue to, to push boundaries and on innovation. You know, we're we're competing globally and it's very tough in terms of what's happening in China and what's happening in the West Coast of America, Asia. We need to build on the UK's USP, which is our innovation, our storytellers, our people who can create and build uh, story environments and um, new narratives. That's what we're really good at in the UK. So the building of the technology, China's great at, and so on. What the UK has to offer is creating new experiences for people. And we really need to nourish and fund and support the people doing that because the technology is market driven it's going to get better it's coming up with creating experiences for people that are accessible open to anybody it regardless of um, ability or um, age or gender and are it becomes part of people's everyday life to experience this just as they would turn on the tv and Tara, you you touched briefly on almost like the social challenges in terms of getting people to use these things. I mean, I guess Google Glass was an early version of of augmented reality, which did not take off. I mean, we know that. So where Google Glass fail, what will be the next version of that? I mean, are we going to get comfortable walking around with some sort of, you know, thing partly covering our eyes? I mean, I think that, you know, before I was talking about user experience and what people are comfortable with, and that's where Google Glass, I think, made a bit of a mistake. They they gave it out to real techie people and everyone, and you know, so it felt like evangelists had a camera and everyone else that was on the other side of the lens was kind of in the spotlight. And I think that that's really important for driving mainstream adoption of these technologies. It's thinking about what are people comfortable with. I mean, my personal thought is that probably AR glasses will come to mainstream for specific use cases. So you probably have your work glasses that you wear at work and then potentially your game glasses that when you go home and you want to play your game because they might need different capabilities. And I think that it will probably take a while before people are comfortable walking around with lenses on their face. I mean, Snapchat did their their one recently, the Snap glasses, and they they didn't do nearly as well. They had warehouses full of leftover Snap spectacles. So, you know, I think... I don't think consumers are ready for a pair of glasses that you wear in your face and you walk down the street with yet because it's not socially acceptable. But for specific use cases, definitely that's coming. I mean, I can see that Google Glass was just ahead of its time. I mean, I'm, and maybe there's a they could have come up with a better design. But but this, this notion that we're going to have some way of having technology sort of beamed to our eyes in the future mm-hmm. it doesn't seem very far off it's not very far off I mean I personally can't wait I you know I'm terrible at directions I cannot wait to get be able to get into my car and put my glasses on and have the journey um, out for me in a way that's easier than being distracted with my sat nav you know in practical ways like that it's like yeah the sooner we can get that the better and we, and we already have these heads up displays in cars anyway which is a similar sort of thing in terms of it's giving you instructions in front of your field of vision do you yes. see what I mean and, but I think there's better usability from a usability perspective that can be improved an awful lot a lot more any any other risks or challenges we should be worried about I mean is there a is there a health risk is there a safety risk if I've, if I've got these glasses on there's, I don't know about you, Tara, but in terms of physical risks, I mean, they're usually, companies are very, very clever and very 
ahead of the curve in, in protecting and being aware of, of practically being a VR environment and being in a room and being in space. You know, if you go to a VR experience and you've got three or four people standing around you because if you have a headset on, you mm. can't see what you're doing. It's new, the data and the research very, is very new about the effects of being in VR experiences for people. So a lot of new audience research is coming out around how it affects you. And then there's the whole ethics side of things as well, which so all of this is very is on the radar. It's emerging. And I think it's, it's we're going to get more of this as we go through it. But, yeah. but of course, as, as in all forms of technology, you know, companies push the boundaries, they figure out what's possible. And then if it turns out that that's slightly dangerous or ethically challenged, then, you know, it gets reined back. And we've seen that, you know, every company from Facebook and on. So we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Tara. Thank you very much, Fiona, for a fascinating conversation. Please join us again for more in our podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence, available on the London Business School website, london.edu, and on SoundCloud. <laughs>